Thank you very much. Take a seat, everyone. Kia ora koutou. No otatahi ko Richard Black, toko ingwa. It is really lovely to be here with you uh, for more than one reason. You see, I flew up yesterday in the gale with all the beautiful turbulence that goes alongside in order to be here today with you. You're welcome. Uh, as was mentioned, uh, my name's Richard Black. I, I'm, I'm an ordained minister. I'm a qualified counsellor. I'm also the, the director of Mind Health. But, but in one sense, more importantly, I am a lover and follower of Jesus. And so to that end, what, what I'm about is, is serving him and his purpose. As part of Mind Health, what we, we do is we, we want to enhance the well-being and the resilience of our five million people. We want to create mental health tools that are um, accessible, that are applicable to people in their everyday life. So we work with the public, we work with schools, we work with government organizations, we work with, with businesses. But my kind of sweet spot, and, and the sweet spot in my heart, is, is I do a whole lot of work with churches. As an organization, we offer counseling, coaching, supervision, we offer different types of training in order to equip people to break through and break free into this life that God has for them. One of the other things that I've done is I've written a couple of books. If we get this beautiful PowerPoint, I push it again. Hey, look at that. So I've written a couple of books to that end as well. So the first one there is called uh, Centered, Knowing Who You Are in an Off-Balance World. It's the first of the five Mind Health series books. It's about strengthening your identity and who God has made you to be. And it's about developing inner confidence. It's based on Christian principles. It's not explicitly or overtly Christian so that you can hand it out to friends, colleagues, neighbors who may not have a faith, and they can also benefit from it. The second book is a children's book that's called There's a Happy Moon in My Side, which can sound like a bit of a strange title, but it actually comes from a conversation I had with my middle girl when she was but four years old. And she was upset one night, and I said, sweetie, let's just get some good food in you. Let's get you having a good night's sleep, and that will help to put a happy mood inside of you. Well, when she woke up the next morning, and I said, sweetie, how are you today? She said, daddy, there's a happy moon in my side. <laughs> so it's a story about a young girl called Lucy who wakes up, discovers a happy moon that helps her to navigate her emotions, to get a better perspective, and to operate far more constructively. Sorry, what was that? Did I bring any copies? Yes, yes, I did. Thank you for asking. You can check that out afterwards. But as far as this morning goes, what I've been asked to do to speak into is to look at the role of the mind within our discipleship. Or put differently, to look at what does the Bible say to us about developing good mental and emotional health. And, and so I'm, I love this. this. This is my area where we see faith and mental health intersect. This is kind of my jam. This is my sweet spot here. So it, it's just a pleasure to be able to share something more of this with you. Because for me, this is an area that, that I just feel like we, we overlook as Christians at times. We, we're aware of it, but we haven't paid it as much attention as it really needs. You see, to, to put it, if we zoom out and to give you a kind of, of, of um, paradigm of how I'm operating here, one of the things that we know in, in John 15 is that Jesus said that, that you are to remain in me and 
you are to remain in my love. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't achieve things in this world, but it means that unless we are rooted in Jesus, unless we are grounded in him, unless we are drawing from him, whatever we achieve in this world, in the way that we even represent him in this world, it has no merit in his eyes. It has to come from him. So we need to remain in him so that we might represent him and produce fruit for him. But we also read in John 10 where Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullness. So what we read there is that as we journey with Jesus, this walk with him, it, we gain from it. This is something that benefits us, that, that there is a fullness of life. There is an abundance of life that comes from him to us. But what I find is many Christians the kind of world that they're living, the life that they're living, it doesn't seem very full. It doesn't seem very abundant. And why is that? It's often because this middle area is one that we have missed. You see, in following Jesus, if we think about sort of three key zones, we need to remain in him. And we've got spiritual disciplines of, of prayer, Bible reading, worship, silence, solitude that help us to remain in Him. We are to represent Him in this world. We are to share our faith. We are to be generous. We are to serve. But there's this middle area of the renewing of our inner world, the renewing of our mind that helps us remain in Him and that enables us to better represent Him in this world. And you see, when we miss this area, what I find is people are Christian, but they're just not changing. They're pretty much the same as what they've always been. Or people are Christian, but they're not following him. Not really, not in the way that he wants them to. And so this morning, what I want to do with you is I simply want to highlight this area. Not that it is in any way above and beyond the others, but so that together with those other areas we might follow our Jesus so much more closely and that we might represent him far more clearly and we might experience more concretely this transformation that he wants to give us. Does that sound okay? Yeah. I've got the first half of the church. Everybody else is still waking up. That's great. Well, to, to get into this though, where, where I feel like I need to start with you is to share something with you. That's a bit personal. But you see, I, I have not always been the paragon of mental and emotional health that you see before you. No, no, it's true. You see, I'm a white middle-class guy, and when I came to faith as a 16-year-old boy down in Christchurch, I became a white middle-class Christian guy. So it goes without saying, I had no problems. And I belonged to a white middle-class church, and we all got together, and we were all in agreement that we didn't have any problems. You know, not real problems. I mean, sure, we weren't perfect, but problems are what other people have. Problems are what we minister to in other people. So you can imagine that when God shone his spotlight into my life and did a kind of reality check on my own mental, emotional health, <laughs> yeah, I was in for a bit of a rude awakening. You know, when I discovered that the reason why I was struggling with what I was wasn't so much about what was happening outside of me. It had more to do with what was happening inside of me. Yeah, happy times. 
And when I discovered that in many ways I can't blame other people for how I'm feeling, that I'm feeling the way I am all by myself, you know, these were not happy moments. And as I looked at my life and, and I could see what was going on, I started to think, well, actually, hold on. It's not so hard to see what's wrong with me. It's not so hard to see what's wrong with Richard. So, so why, Lord, why had I not seen this before? Why had I been sort of blinded to this? And I felt like he said to me, well, Richard, let me put it to you this way. If you are an addict in a world of addicts, how do you know you've got a problem? Do you get that? And as I'm uh, wrestling with all of this, I'm also thinking, well, also, Lord, how come I haven't been changed before now? I mean, I've come to faith. I love Jesus. I attend church. I worship. I, I pray. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. So why haven't I been transformed? Now, don't get me wrong. When I came to faith, God certainly did a number on my life. In fact, it felt like the Holy Spirit led me through his own sort of personal discipleship program as he would go into the kind of different areas of my life, one room after another, opening the door and saying, Richard, shall we have a look at what's in this room? To which I'd say to him, let's not. <laughs> you know, I, I struggled with anxiety and depression for, for the first part of my life. And when I came to faith, it lifted mostly. But I still had some strong bouts of depression. And I remember being so frustrated that I was so thin-skinned. You know, I was just so easily hurt and so easily offended. And then when I discovered the speed at which you take offense is an indication of how emotionally unwell you are, <laughs> the joy just kept on coming. <laughs> and I remember at that point, I, I looked up and I looked around me and I realized it's not just me. Other people are struggling like this. You know, I'd see churches where they, they just longed to love one another. They just didn't like each other very much. <laughs> or I would see people in the church where they, they wanted to resolve conflict well because of the difficulties they were facing. Now, to be fair, we all know how to resolve conflict badly, don't we? And we can do that on a daily basis. But, but to resolve conflict well, well, that just takes a whole different skill set. You know, I'd see people who love the Lord with all their heart, but they're up to their eyeballs in debt. I'd see people who had been serving the Lord faithfully for years, but they're still struggling with their habits, their addictions, their comfort eating, their pornography. I'd see people who come and love to lose themselves in worship on a Sunday, but then go home and repeatedly yell at their kids and struggle to get their anger under control. I'd see people who are part of the worship team who were secretly self-harming. I would see people who would pour over Scripture but were still struggling with their anxiety and their depression. And I'm thinking, Lord, why is this? Why are we still struggling in this kind of way? And I felt like he said to me, well, Richard, it's because we've forgotten where real transformation comes from. And so, my friends, in many ways this morning, I just want to lead you through some of the Scriptures of, of what we see God tell us about where real transformation comes from. It's going to be like a little Bible study that we'll have together. Because in this, there are verses, there are passages that we've sort of known, but we haven't known how to apply them. So as we look at these, these passages again afresh, or perhaps even for the first time, depending on what your journey is, I want us to find a fresh look at them to see what they can tell us 
about how we might grow and change in him. Are you up for that? It's still the first half of the church. Okay. So the first one I want to give you is where Jesus said that when you start to follow him, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the interesting thing there is he doesn't say that prayer ministry would set you free. And yet I love prayer ministry and I've seen the power of God through prayer ministry. Nor did he say that a tithing campaign would set you free. And I love that a whole lot less. Nor did he say, to be fair, that counseling would set you free. What he said was truth will set you free. So when you encounter truth, wherever you encounter truth, if it is the truth, freedom comes. But you see, that begs the question, what is the specific truth that you need to bring about the freedom that God wants for you? And you see, this is why we, we read in, in Romans 12 too, where Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yeah, and not through the removal of our mind, as many Christians seem to think. That what we read about in this passage, what we need to understand is that actually what goes on between our ears is critically important. That if we want transformation in our life, we have to take the renewing of our mind seriously. And yet what I find oftentimes within churches, you know, through the, the generations, that what we've done is we've, we've kind of sort of separated out two worlds. We've separated out the spiritual world from the world of the mental and emotional health. And, and we've looked with a lot of suspicion at this world. And I mean, you can understand why, because I mean, there's been a lot of wacky things said by a lot of wacky people. And what we've tried to do with these two worlds separate is we've tried to operate and answer everything from the spiritual world. And I get that because, I mean, this is our zone, isn't it? We own this zone. This is the world of prayer and Bible reading and laying on of hands, depending on your denomination. But that's how we've operated. We've operated out of that excluded from this world of the mental and emotional health, this world of, of counselors, psychologists, psychotherapists. But when we've come to the end of ourselves and the end of that resource, and people are still struggling with their, their, their habits, their marriage is still breaking apart, their anxiety is still too strong, we tend to jettison them over to this world. And we've just hoped that they'll come back with their faith intact. But what we read here, is that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. These two worlds are not mutually exclusive. They are, in fact, inextricably connected. And when we separate them, we do so to our detriment. The other thing in this is that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's an ongoing process. I mean, it'd be lovely if it was a one-hit wonder, but it's not. We are constantly works in progress. But what I find is that we'll often get stuck because, not just here in the church, but in our society, we tend to take a kind of binary approach to well-being. Now, what I mean by that is, there's a sense that either you're mentally well or you're mentally unwell. You're one or the other. That's just how it is. And depending on which generation you're a part of and your belief system, you'll all tend to try to be in one or the other as if that was, they were just simply one or another, but they're not. You know, if I put it to you this way, if, if we think about me physically, if, if you were to say to me, Richard, are you physically well or are you, a, are you sick? Do you need a doctor? 
I can look at me and I can go, no, I'm physically well. Thanks so much for asking. And that ends the conversation. But if you said to me, Richard, are you physically fit? I go, yeah, somewhat. If you pushed it and said, no, 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 Richard, are you physically fit? Do you have all the nutrients, minerals, rest, exercise in order to physically thrive in this world? I go, <laughs> you don't look too closely, you know, as much as the next person, somewhat. And equally, if we take that kind of approach to our mental, emotional health, if, if, if we were to say to you, are you mentally, emotionally, relationally fit? Most of us would go, well, yeah, somewhat. You see, my friends, it's not an either or. This is, in fact, a continuum, and you're all on the continuum somewhere. You know, it used to be that if, if people would look at their, their life and they'd say, sure, I'm not perfect, but really, there's not... There's nothing I really need to work on. We used to say, that's because you're mentally well. Now we'd say, that's because you're in denial. <laughs> but in fact, we're all on this continuum somewhere. And I would suggest that an indication of sort of mental health is our ability to name where we are on this continuum. Or to put it a different way, to name where your growth edge is. Because that's where our Jesus wants to walk with us and work with us, to partner with us, that we might move to a greater place of freedom in Him, that we might break through and break free into being all that He has created us to be, so that we can get on and do all that He is calling us to do. So my friends, do you know where your growth edge is? If you don't, ask a loved one. They'll be quite happy to tell you where it is. But, you know, when we, we don't know this, and another passage that helps us to sort of understand it, it, it comes from 2 Corinthians 3.17. And it's one of those really sort of seemingly innocent little verses. But then when you take another look, it, it packs a punch behind it. Because the passage says, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty, depending on your translation. But you see what that also means? is wherever you are not experiencing freedom, then guess what? The Holy Spirit isn't present there, not to the degree that He wants to be. Now, why would that be? Because He is the Spirit of truth. And when we unwittingly, unconsciously are believing something that isn't in line with Him, a misbelief, a lie in some ways, we quench the work of the Spirit, and we can give access to the one who's known as the Father of lies. You see, in this place where, where we struggle, if, if we take a person and we go down into the core of their being, if what's in the core of their being, underneath everything that they pretend or show themselves outwardly, if what's down there is there's a sense that I am a disappointment to God. You know, that God loves everybody, He just tolerates me. But that when we have that kind of belief, then it doesn't matter how often you hear that God loves you. That will just wash off you, and you'll probably be left in your own kind of depressive state. Or if you believe deep down in the core of your being that you're only adequate, acceptable, depending on how you've performed recently, how you're achieving, or what you're achieving, then it won't matter how often you hear about God's grace. It will wash off you, and you'll be left in your own kind of anxious state around your work and your performance. If you believe deep down in the core of your being that there's something faulty with you, 
then it won't matter how many times you hear that you are the chosen, beloved child of God. It will wash off you, and you'll be left with your own kind of self-critical voice or, or self-hatred somewhere inside of you. You see, I'll meet Christians who are, are struggling in areas, and they'll say, you know, I've been crying out, longing, please, God, come, save me, deliver me, change me. And they say, do you know what it feels like? I'm up against a locked door, and I just long for God to come in. But what they don't realize is that God is on the other side, longing to come in. It's just they're the ones who need to unlock the door. And you see, when we discover where we're not experiencing freedom, and at that point we apply truth, it's like unlocking the door and allowing the transformative power of God's Spirit into our life to bring the freedom, the transformation that He says is ours. So in that, how concretely do we do that? And so what I want to do is I want to take you to one more passage of scriptures and uh, scripture and, and this is where I want us to camp around the scripture in many ways I want us to kind of crack it open and <coughs> suck the marrow from the bone out of this one because in it there is so much that can help us in a daily practice of renewing our mind but I need to give you a kind of disclaimer before we get into that you know when it comes to like oral health you know everyone here is expected to clean your teeth at least twice a day. Now, don't worry, no one's going to ask you. They'll just know. But you see, no one expects you to do your own root canal. And what I'm going to share with you is, is some tips and some, uh, some, some tools to help you do some brain brushing, to help you do some mind cleaning. But if you've got a root canal issue, then please don't use this on that. Go see a professional. Someone else who can help you has got the skills to navigate a kind of root canal issue. You with me on that? Yeah. So having said that, the passage that I want to take you to is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. And here we read, the weapons that we fight with, Paul speaking, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Now, before I jump in and give you a couple of tools that uh, we see in this passage, a couple of things I just want to pick up on. The first one is so obvious that we often miss it. Tell me, who is to use these tools? We are. We're to use these tools. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly frustrating. I would much rather say, Lord, you can see what's wrong with me, so when I go to bed tonight, if you could just sort me out, that would be choice. But what we find is that our God very really does it that way, doesn't he? He tends to do it with us so he can do it in us and then operate through us. And so there is a partnership with our God that we have to do. And at times it can sound super spiritual that I'm just leaving it all up to the Lord. But he's saying, no, I need you in this game. It's something that we journey with him, 
that we partner with him in this. So the first thing that we realize is these weapons that we are going to use, we have to partner with him. We have to put them into practice. The second thing here, though, is it says that we use these weapons to demolish strongholds. Now, a stronghold, as we look at that, it has a kind of spiritual connotation to it, doesn't it? And that's right, I, I think it does. But what's interesting is the word stronghold can also be translated house of thoughts or entrenched mentality. So when you look at that, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a mindset, it's a mentality. It's something that's taken root inside of you. It's got enemy-occupied territory in one sense. Because then how do we demolish these strongholds? As we look, we demolish it by demolishing every argument, every pretension, every rationale, every belief system that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God is, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God says we are, that sets itself up against the knowledge of what our God says is true. And we take that captive and we make it obedient to Christ. So these strongholds in us are often mindsets and mentalities that we have to go to work on. So how do we do that? Well, in this passage, there are sort of four key principles that I see that I'm going to offer to you as, as a tool for brain-brushing mind cleaning. And I've made sure that they all begin with A. So I want you to be impressed by that, because that wasn't easy. But the first one here is we've got to become aware. If we're going to take captive, if we're going to make those thoughts obedient to Christ, we've first of all got to become aware of what are we even working with? What's going on inside of us? What is the chatter that's in your mind? What are the feelings that are inside of you? You see, I find that many people can live on a kind of autopilot. You just do what you do. You think what you think. You go where you go. You behave like you do. And it's just like, well, that's just me. In fact, I'll have people say, Richard, you've just got to understand, this is just who I am. They may even say, you've got to understand, this is my personality type. To which I'll say to them, did it ever occur to you? This isn't your personality type. This is your prison cell. And it's time to step out of it. And so how do we do this? Become aware. What are you telling yourself? As you head to work, as you go do the shopping, as you clean the house, as you go on from here and have lunch elsewhere, you know, what are you telling yourself? What's the chatter that's going on in your mind? Because it's always there. But also, what, what's the feeling state that you're in? What's going on in your, your emotional side? Now, on the emotions, what, what I find happens is that people tend to fall into sort of one of two traps. I'll find that there are those who end up falling into the, the indulging of their emotions trap. And I don't mean that in any kind of judgmental sense. It's just people like to marinate in their mood. They know what they feel. They feel what they feel. They like to share what they feel with everybody else. So everybody can feel what we're feeling. We can all feel it together. <laughs> but then you've got others down the other end who who um, want to deny their feelings, and they build this kind of concrete wall, this brick wall between them and their feelings. And so anytime I have a feeling that I don't like, anytime I have feelings that I don't understand, anytime feelings that just feel overwhelming, well, we just put them over the brick wall so I don't have to deal with them. 
And this, in many ways, this is like the old-time Christian approach, where you never trust a feeling because it lies to you. This is also, to be fair, where I find many men will fall into this trap. I'll have guys who turn up in my counseling room who will basically say, Richard, I've never come across an emotion in my life. I don't plan to start now. But what happens, what you don't realize is when we deny our feelings, it's just a different version of indulging our feelings. And they'll be like, what? No, <laughs> I built a brick wall so I don't have to deal with them. But you see, if I put it to you this way, if you had a fractured leg and we jammed you full of an anesthetic, you could probably walk on it. But it's still broken bone grinding on broken bone. That just because you're not conscious of what you're feeling doesn't mean your feelings aren't driving you, pushing you, pro prompting you in a certain direction. They are still at work in you. The place where we start is we've just got to be honest. What's actually going on in my thoughts and my feelings? In all of its technicolor, its ungodliness, its unchristianness, whatever, what's going on there? So that we don't run from this, we acknowledge it. It's not because we're going to indulge it and nor are we going to deny it. But you see, the Bible says that God is light and in him there's no darkness. There's no darkness, there's no pretense, there's no faking. When you're in God's presence, it's one of the most honest places to be. And so my friends, equally, when you step into honesty and you get real, about what's going on here, it's a sacred place with him. He knows it already. He loves you already. We don't have to run from it, but we do have to be honest about what's there so now that we can choose what we do with it. The first one is that we've got to be aware of it. The second one here is that we need to arrest it or arrest those thoughts and feelings. And the Bible says to take them captive. So we don't allow those thoughts to keep on plaguing in our mind. We don't allow the emotions just to, to push us. We, we arrest them. We take them captive. We stop them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, brain. Hang on, thoughts. Hang on, feelings. Let me assess you as to what's going on. And we especially need to arrest the, the things in our mind that the psychologists refer to as ants, automatic negative thoughts. You know, our brain can get very good at responding in a negative way. Typical, that would happen to me. They don't like me. It's all going to turn to cuss. It's a failure. It's hopeless. It's pointless. You see, for some strange reason as humans, we tend to believe that if it's negative, it's more true than if it's positive which isn't the case. But that's where we need to take those ants captive. You know, many years ago, my, my wife and I, we were living in the North Island where we had to deal with actual ants. You know, down in Christchurch, yes, we have ants, but it's too cold. They, they really don't bother us too much. But when we're in the North Island with everything that's warm, I don't know how you deal with it, but, you know, things like the jam would always have to go in the fridge, otherwise the ants get to it. Well, one day, my wife has made this beautiful banana cake covered in chocolate icing and covered in chocolate hail. And we have a slice of it, and it's delicious. And then as we get to the end of the piece, there's this interchange that goes between my wife and I as we sort of look at each other. And without saying a word, the sentiment is, 
shall we have another piece? And I think, I don't mind if I do. So we get up and we go into the kitchen to get another piece of this beautiful cake. But of course, what do we notice? But a trail of ants all the way to the cake. And my friends, do you realize that chocolate hail and an ant look surprisingly similar? <laughs> and you know, the banana thread and a banana cake and squashed ants look surprisingly similar. So we're going, you know, is this chocolate hail? Is this an ant? Is this banana? Is this an ant? Oh, it just all became too hard. So we ended up having to dump the cake. I know. Thank you. Yeah. My counselor says I'm doing really well, though. But you see, for me, that's a beautiful analogy of what goes on inside of us. We can have these ants that scurry through our mind and rob us of the joy and the peace and the contentment, the things that God wants. And so those are the ants that we need to be aware of and arrest them and take them captive. And of course, with every ant that you see, how many do you not see? Hundreds, thousands maybe? So we have to also follow the ants to the nest. What am I believing that's generating this? Where's the nest? What's producing this in my life? Because when I'm aware and I've arrested them and I know what's generating, what am I believing? What am I telling myself here? Well, now I can answer this belief with the truth, this lie with the truth. But you see, here's one of the difficulties that many Christians face. We sort of know this, but one of the things that I find, or the way that I put it, is you've got to make sure that when you answer with the truth, you've got to make sure that it's a real answer and not just a right answer. As Christians, we're very good at knowing what all the right answers are. You ask me the, what's the answer to this, I tell you, I can give you a scripture for it. But it, a right answer just speaks to my head. It doesn't change my heart. A real answer is a right answer that I can absorb, that I can connect with, that can change me. You know, I remember many years ago when I was not in a great place and somebody said to me, well, Richard, what you need to understand is you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Is that true? It so is. Did that help me? Not in the slightest. But as I sat with it, I thought, what does that even mean? And as I meditated on it, I realized what it means is that my God has dreamed me up. He wants me on this planet. He needs me. He wants me. He's working with me. And the fact that I have come from Him means that I have worth and value before I say or do anything. Now, did that help me? It really did. And you see, one of the differences of moving something from a right answer to a real answer may be something like, 10 minutes of meditating on the truth. You see, one of the difficulties that we also face in our Western society is we're really good at going through information fast. Notice the speed you scroll through things, how much you, you, you navigate anything that you're reading. You just look for the key points, information, 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 but information doesn't lead to transformation. And so when we go fast, it just bounces off the surface. Change happens in the slow. Now, change doesn't necessarily happen slowly. It might, but that's not what I'm saying. Change happens in the slow. So when we encounter truth, at times we have to meditate and marinate in it so that it seeps into our being. So we need to engage the truth slowly. 
so that it becomes a real answer and not just a right answer for us. And you see, once we've done that, now, now we apply the truth. Now we've got to walk this truth out. We've got to work it in and walk it out. If this is actually the truth, how am I going to operate differently? How am I going to be differently? Because we are to take the thought captive. We are to make it obedient to Christ, to the one who is the truth, and so that it's obedient to him. So there is a process where we need to apply it so that we're living this out and we can operate more like him, that we can be freer in ourselves. You see, my friends, as we put this into practice, we start to renew what's inside of us. We don't just go with how we've always been. We partner with Him to bring about transformation in our life. And one of the things that we need to recognize is that some of us have been trying this for a while. And maybe we've been sitting with all the right answers, but we haven't found a real answer that really speaks to it. Some of us have got so impatient with ourselves in this place. And the irony is our impatience works against us as we dump on ourselves, as we beat up on ourselves. You know, I'm obviously not a good Christian. I'm obviously not getting it right. But of course, like one of the things that I'll say is, is condemnation never leads to transformation, which is why God never uses it on us. That there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So the place that we start is we recognize it's not condemnation and beating ourselves up and striving that, that, that helps us to improve. It's to recognize how does God change us through love. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's in recognizing that you in all of your beautiful, messy, screwed up state, whatever that might look like in your own technicolor, in that place, you are loved completely. If you never change, you are loved to the fullest extent that God can love you. And so as we step into this place and we get vulnerable, there is no shame here. There is just love and a God who desires to work with you. So if you've got stuck as well, maybe you need to partner with somebody else who knows how to move you along. But also what I have found for many Christians is they think they have done this, but they've done it really fast. They've acknowledged the kind of truth in their head and they've moved on and they've wondered why they're not, they've not been changed. My friends, we need to be aware of what's in our mind. We need to arrest it. We need to answer it with truth so that it's slow and it's real. And with that, apply it so that we might remain in Him and experience more of the life that God wants to give us so that we might better represent Him in this world and to a hurting world who can see the change that God is doing in our life. Are you with me? Can we stand together? I'll get the keys up. My friends, just where you are now, I just want you to close your eyes and center on the Lord. And I want you to ask, you know, Lord, what do you want to highlight in my life? And listen to him speak. Lord, where is my growth edge? 
where you're inviting me to partner with you. Whatever God is highlighting in your life, I encourage you, take that seriously. And act on it. It might be that you want prayer up here, which is totally fine. We've got people who will pray with you. It might be that you need to take some time out in some silence and just meditate and reflect. It might be that you need to ring someone and partner with somebody else to help you in this journey. What's your next step? Father, we want to thank you for your unconditional love. Lord, you did not withhold Jesus, and your heart still wants to give us immeasurably more. Lord, we pray that in your love, we would be honest with you. And Lord, you would reveal in us where we've got caught. And Jesus, we pray, please come bring your truth that would set us free. May we live in your life and in the abundance of you and your love. And Lord, would we offer this love to others around us, that they would be changed in you as well. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, come and work in your children, the ones that you love to pieces, come have your way. So we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Richard. I just wanted to again ask as for, for, for people because sometimes things don't happen as fast as what they want it's like well I came he prayed a prayer I go out and then tomorrow I how how slow can it be and how do we cope with the slowness of, of yeah. it all uh, I, the, the importance is that when we step into God's love we, we know he is patient with us that we need to be patient with ourselves Sometimes we want the quick encounter and the power. And if that happens, praise God. But one of the ways I'll also describe it is, is like if you've been a, a physical couch potato and you want to run a marathon, you can, but you can't just get off the couch and start running. You've got to start training. And in our mind and our emotions, God has gifted us the ability to train our mind and our emotions. We're not at the mercy of our mind like sometimes it may feel. And so the key thing is, like in physical training, have we noticed improvement? Look back over how you've been journeying. Is, is there improvement that's going on? And if there is, then thank God for that and keep persevering in your training process. If there is no movement at all, well, then maybe you've got stuck and you need some help. And so it's okay to reach out and ask for help. The key thing is, though, that our impatience works against our transformation. Stay in a place of love and knowing that you are loved. And it's really that graph moving 
yeah. movie, looking back, like I can look at my my life, who who I was back then is not who I am yeah. now, and it's looking over the long the long haul. You can you can see change. I just want to ask you one other question because I think we we can see a see a change in our lives and things can move. Self sabotage that thing mm. when you you're you're doing well, but then it's like almost like I don't deserve to do well, or I don't, again, maybe comes back to how I see, yeah. uh, and then we, we literally can destroy it. Can, can you talk yeah. just for a couple of few moments on yeah. self-sabotage, so and what, how do what we avoid that? What happens is as, as we're changing, we move out of what we've been orientated to, which could be an addiction or an emotion, we start to move into a phase of disorientation, where we're changing before we can be reorientated to a new way of being. The problem is in the disorientation, it's a scary place to be because we don't know how to be us in this. The, the Bible says a dog returns to its vomit. We go, this is too weird. When you're in a stage of change, you'll go, this is weird, this is odd, and it's unsettling because we are terrified of the unknown. It's not unknown, it's just unfamiliar. So we'll often go back. Sometimes what we'll, we'll think is that if I start believing that I am someone, that I'm significant, that I'm loved, that I'm okay as me, well, well, then maybe I'll become proud. And that's a really not, not a good place to be. I, I wouldn't be a real good Christian because we believe that humility is keeping low. Whereas no, humility is simply agreeing with God about how he sees you. And how does God see you? Anything more, that's pride. If you believe you're anything less, that's pride because you're saying you know better than God as to who you are. But when you agree with God as to who you are, we're in this place and it feels weird and it feels unsettling. And, and at times we, we want to go back to what we're orientated to because if I keep low, then no one can challenge me, no one can criticize me. So I'll sabotage myself because it just feels safer there. Whereas in fact, we've got to get out of that and remain in the disorientation phase so that we can move on to the right phase. The other thing that we notice in the change process that, that can uh, sabotage people is that when you're changing anxiety, addictions, habits, moods, emotions, you know you're changing when the time between an episode starts to increase and the time in an episode decreases in intensity or duration. And so over the course of whatever your recovery looks like for any of us, there will be episodes that's not the issue. The problem is that when we have an issue, many people go, look, I haven't changed. I'm back at square one. Nothing's different. It's like, no, 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 no. Look at how much longer it's been since you've had an episode. So don't dismiss that. Acknowledge it, value it, and know that this episode isn't something to catastrophize over and beat yourself up over. Mm. It's simply to recognize I, this is, just tells me there's more to learn mm. and to allow this to be a part of the change process and learn from it so that the next time we'll be further away as well. Mm. Beautiful. What are you speaking on tonight, Tawa, Oh, thank you. So tonight I'm speaking on three different perspectives that we see and from a passage of Scripture, talking about how to bring closure to your past and how to partner with God for a better future. And so you're welcome to attend that. It's at 5 o'clock, and we'll probably be one of the last 5 o'clock um, Taoba services. Mm. You can go to, well, thank you so much, Richard. That was so powerful. Can we put our hands together for that?
And if you need prayer for anything, there's a prayer station over there just as we bring the service to um, a close. And just again to uh, invite those, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, uh, this Jesus that Richard is speaking of, I want to encourage you. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You might be thinking, could God ever love a person like me? Well, friends, it's not a about how bad you are, it's about how good he is. And he made a way. We're not saved because of what we do, we're saved because of what he's done. He gave his life so that we can know him. Do you know him today? If you were to die, where would you spend eternity? Life has many choices, eternity only has two. So I'd encourage you to get right with God. How do you do that? You pray. How do you pray? You just say, Lord, I've tried to do it my own way. Would you come and be king of my life? Would you be my savior? The Bible says he knocks on the door of our heart. And if we would open that door, he'll come in. He won't force his way in. He will come in and begin that journey, this journey. We actually, there's a biblical word for it called sanctification. He slowly begins to work in you, peeling off the layers, going into those wounds helping you to become what he desires you to be. And like Richard said, you have to do nothing. Nothing. No, 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 no. It's not about, I need to change this or do this in order to be loved. No, he already loves you. How do I know? Because 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross for you. But it's allowing him to do his work in you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you know you need to get right with Jesus, in a moment I'm going to pray a prayer and the prayer just says, come and be king of my life. If that's you and you know you want to be a part of that prayer today, you're just saying, would you include me in that prayer? Would you just put your hand up wherever you are and just say me? That's me, Pastor. Thank you down the back here. Anyone else? That you know you need to get right with Jesus. Would you just put your hand up nice and high so I can see it? Nice and high. Thank you. Anyone Anyone else? In the middle here. Thank you. Anyone else? You know you need to get right with God. Thank you. Thank you. Down the back over the side here. All right, we're going to pray this prayer together. Everyone after me, Lord Jesus, I come to you today in need of a Savior. I turn from my sin and turn towards you. Be the master of my life from this day forward. Amen. Can we put our hands together for those who said yes to Jesus so for the first time today? If that is a prayer that you've prayed on for the first time today on your way out, the pastors will be holding a little gift of a New Testament for you that you can grab. Otherwise, let's keep walking with Jesus. Once again, thank you so much, Richard, for that. And if you'd like more ministry from Richard, Tawa tonight, great place to be check if you haven't been there good good time to check it out so let me pray this blessing over you as we close these ancient words let me speak the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and everybody said amen amen god bless you the service is out if you need prayer for anything 
Kay and Chris are over here to pray with.